it will not, in fact, increase opportunities for union actors to make a living by doing stage acting. And on top of that, it will eliminate the ability of actors to continue to, to, to pursue their craft and, uh, and uh, eliminate the ability for audiences to continue to see new work or great classical work. It's just, uh, it, it, idealistically speaking, it's actually a very good idea, but practically it, it doesn't work. You're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co-host, Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And coming up in episode 188, we have a very special episode dedicated to shedding some light on the Los Angeles 99-seat theater debate happening right now. This Friday, April 17th at 5 p.m. Eastern, is the deadline to vote if you are a member of Actors' Equity Association living and working in Los Angeles. And if you're not in the union or living in Los Angeles, you may be wondering how all of this affects you. We invited two of the most well-informed actors on the issue, Rebecca Metz and Dakin Matthews, onto the show to talk about how this issue affects all actors and theater artists wherever you may be. It's all coming up in episode 188, so be sure to stay with us. This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com. It's the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, GoGo.com start. So, as we said in the introduction, this is a very special and specific episode. So, a lot of the normal stuff that we do on the bookends here, the beginning and the end, we are we are going to skip or or just put off or save until uh, our next episode. And that will include, of course, part two of Trev's interview with Alexandra Boylan and um, all the usual stuff like the picks of the week and that kind of thing. I did both of these interviews not um, but an hour to an hour and a half ago. Uh, they were both conducted via uh, Skype. And I have no idea how long this is, this is going to be. And um, I'm not sure, you know, what the format is going to be, but both Rebecca and Dakin had a lot of really amazing, informative things to, to say. Uh, Trev, did you have anything, any uh, sort of little fascination, fascinations you wanted to, to add in before we dive into the interviews? All I want to say is that um, I'm really excited uh, that you um, got... Rebecca and Dakin uh, on the show to talk about this stuff. I think this is a, a really important issue. I've you know, followed you on Facebook over the past few weeks and you've been extremely active in this debate and really kind of been, you know, doing your homework, doing your research, rallying people around, um, you know, uh, not necessarily even your point of view, but empowering them to 
pick a side, to take a stand, and to to get involved in this issue one way or the other. Not necessarily trying to convert anybody, but saying this needs to be something that we're, we're all paying attention to. So I just want to give a, a, a sort of acknowledgement to you. I'm, I'm bowing my hands with my hands in prayer. I'm bowing my head to uh, <laughs> acknowledging you right now um, for putting this together, man. So thank you. I'm really excited to listen to it. I really appreciate that, man. And, and it is an important issue to me, which is why I've been doing all the research, which is why I've been vocal, and which is why I wanted to sort of um, uh, have the, the podcast um, come into the conversation. So, you know, you and I have talked about it a bit on the show. And um, now we've got, you know, these uh, not only seasoned actors, but seasoned actors who have been very uh, active in the uh, the whole debate um, in their in their own respect, um, and they're also two of the most level-headed <laughs> in the debate, and I acknowledge them both for 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 that as well. Um, I didn't want to bring um, people on who were just going to be you know just angry and lots of you know pitchforks and <laughs> and torches. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, you know what I do want to say too is that you know I, there may be some people listening to this episode, and they may have gotten to this point in the episode, and they might be thinking, you know, like oh, the, I don't want to listen to some activism stuff. I, I'm not really feeling this. I want to get to the good stuff, the stuff that I can apply to my career and whatnot. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking that right now, I just want to kind of say to you. There are a lot of people who have fought really hard, who have dedicated huge chunks of their careers, if not their entire career, to making sure that actors like you and I are treated fairly, that we have fair working conditions, you know, that we have access to equal opportunity, that there's not discrimination, there's no abuses happening, that, that kind of thing. Those are hard fought and hard won battles, and we are right in the midst of another one right now. So if there's any episode to listen to, to get a feel for how important uh, what we do is and why we get we need to stand up and fight for these kind of things it's this episode that's awesome man that's a, a beautifully put beautifully put so on that note let's just uh, roll into uh, to the interviews and uh, we'll catch you guys on the other side This is AJ, and I am currently on the phone with actress Rebecca Metz. You may recognize her from uh, a whole bunch of uh, co-star, guest stars, series regular roles she's had on a number of different primetime television shows, everything from Shameless to American Horror Story, Person of Interest, Weeds. The list goes on and on. If you look her up on IMDb, it's a, it's a very long list of, of awesome credits, and we're so happy to have her on the show. And I just asked her back on the show under, quote-unquote, more normal circumstances since this week, as you heard in the introduction, we're going to be mostly focusing on the 99-seat theater debate in L.A. So thank you so much, Rebecca, for, for coming on, especially in this, uh, you know, this crazy time when, when everybody who's, uh, who's uh, working on this in L.A. is so busy. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to kind of help people understand what is going on. Well, and that's, you know, that's why you're here. So um, before we jump into the the basics, the, the, the sort of main thrust of what's happening, I know there are a lot of people who, because I've been doing my best to pay attention and read as much as I can and, and do as much research as I can to educate myself. And I know that there are a lot of people sort of jumping in and commenting on this and writing about this that don't necessarily have a dog in the fight. Either they've never um, done theater in Los Angeles or they've never done 99-seat theater or they've never been a part of the um, Actors' Equity Association, um, which mm-hmm. is the union for stage actors and, and stage managers. So, um, you know, they kind of... Uh, I don't want to say they're shooting themselves in the foot, but it makes everyone on our side go like, wait, hang on a second. What, what's what's your – I don't understand why you're commenting on something you don't know a whole lot about. Yeah. So I just want to give you the opportunity to sort of vet yourself on the show and, and kind of tell people, you know, what your experience is in this particular world. Great. Yes, I, it's it's very true that there are a lot of people sort of chiming in here. here you're sort of going, I'm – you know, I'm not sure you actually know what you're talking about, not in an insulting way, but just in a practical, like you've never worked in any of these circumstances before way. Um, So I went through conservatory training program at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, and I grew up in New Jersey, So, and my family's from New York, so I've always been a New York theater person going in and seeing shows and all that stuff. But when I graduated, I I didn't want to move to New York. I didn't like what was kind of happening on Broadway then and LA looked pretty good. So I came out here and, um, and started working towards an on camera career, which is what you do in LA. Um, but after a while I started to feel, I really missed the kind of community, this like intense community of that I had at school where I was working constantly with other actors who knew me and knew my work and knew my tricks and would call me out on stuff and push me to be better. And, you know, I could do the same for them. So I started, and I missed theater. So I started to look around for what there was in LA. And some friends sort of said, well, I'm in this theater company. You should come see some of our stuff. And that was kind of how I discovered 99 seat theater. There are all of these companies, some, some who work on a membership basis, some that don't that have small houses, 99 seats or fewer that, um, put on really kind of challenging, risky, innovative, weird work, which is the kind of work that I like, Mm. that I was not seeing on Broadway, which is why I didn't go to New York. Um, And so I I joined a company called The Open Fist that um, had a space in Hollywood. And I spent five years there probably doing shows and, and kind of rediscovering that very same kind of community of people who had similar but different enough backgrounds and spoke the same language and wanted to do the same kind of work. Um, So that was kind of my entree into 99 Seat. And then when I left the Fist because my on-camera career started taking off and I needed more time and I was getting older and, you know, having relationships that demanded that I not be at rehearsal every night of the week, um, I left the company, but I kept... You know, I kept very much a part of that community, and I started doing shows with other 99-seat companies. So there's um, Playwrights Arena, Burglars of Ham, which is a non-membership company. They write ridiculous, wonderful comedies. And um, so they wrote something called Land of the Tigers, which we did 
in LA at a, a membership company that I wasn't a member of called Sacred Fools. Another great so company. So that, yes, that got seen by Center Theater Group, who is the the biggest equity producer in LA. They have the Mark Taper Forum and the Amundsen and the Kirk Douglas. Mm-hmm. They saw that show and asked the Burglars of Ham if they had anything else that they wanted to develop. So, and they did. They had a show called The Behavior of Brodus. And so I got to do two paid equity workshops at Center Theater Group of this show that became The Behavior of Brodus, which we then um, mounted in a full production at Sacred Fools, co-produced by Center Theater Group. And um, and we're sort of in the midst of award season right now, and it's nominated for all kinds of stuff. And was I mean that's not the important part. It was it's a phenomenal show. Yeah, well, congratulations. So, I mean, it's this is actually great. This is a great a little bit of a segue, and also just a great example because not only are you talking about your experience in the 99 seat world, but you're also um, providing a, um, a first person example of one of the things that uh, we as who the people who are our Pro 99 have said, like, look at the uh, the fact that this seed of a 99-seat show ended up actually creating work for union actors later on. Yeah. Um, so that's know, a great it's, example. It's, it's hard to get on the radar of Center Theater Group. This is a town with the L.A. County has 6,000 equity members mm-hmm. and, and a pretty small handful of um of theaters that pay equity contracts. And so to get on the radar, especially, you know, I'm a white character actress. Uh, there's a lot of us. <laughs> and so to get, to get, and you know, that, that's, I'm certainly not in the toughest spot in terms of like demographics. Everybody has a big challenge because there are just not that many roles to go around for certain categories. And so, you know, this 99C Theater is how I got on Center Theater Group's radar. That's why they know who I am. Mm. Um, and not to mention, we you may know this, we have a list going, I'm sure you know this, of uh, <laughs> like, I think we're up to over 80 shows now that started in 99C Theater that were conceived in and for 99C Theater that have moved on to paying equity contracts, mm-hmm. which has resulted in hundreds of jobs for equity actors, some of whom started with the shows here and others of whom got joined the shows when they moved on to equity contracts in other cities. So right. um, it's it's just a little short-sighted, I think, when people sort of say, you know, 99 Theater is taking paid work away from actors. It's actually generating paid work for actors, right. which is one of the reasons we're fighting so hard to keep it. Right. So um, I, I want to ask you, and uh, I, I will... Um, probably ask Dakin the same question because it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around this issue um, as a whole. And there's so much minutia and, you know, I'm sure you, as I, as many of us have read so much information, almost ad nauseum about the history of the contract of the 99C contract or or lack thereof I should say yeah the the agreement the 99 seat agreement about the you know the various labor laws about what's truth what's myth what is what you know <laughs> lies are sort of being propagated on on either side so I'm I would love to get your take on if you could and I know this is a challenge I know I'm asking <laughs> a, a challenging thing but if you could break it down like for someone who was just on the fringe, on the outside, didn't really necessarily know what the issue was. If you could 
break it down into like a 60 to 90 second explanation of what is happening. Um, you know, what would that sound like? All right, let me see if I can do this. I, th- I believe in myself. I think you can do it. I believe in you too, um, Rebecca. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so the current 99-seat plan is unique to Los Angeles and has been in place since the 1980s. There is a lot of consensus among actors, non-union equity, and among equity staff that changes are needed to that plan. Updates as anything from the 80s would need to be updated. Um, <laughs> Especially there were, the hair. <laughs> wardrobes, yeah. <laughs> so there were, there were a series of meetings and a survey and focus groups, pretty small focus groups, that's why they call them focus groups, where equity asked Los Angeles union members, what kind of changes do you want to see? And there was a feeling after one of those meetings in January that we'd come to a consensus that what the LA membership wanted was a tiered plan that tied actor compensation to the amount of money the theater or production has. So the more money the theater has, the more money the actors get paid. Um, And other sort of related tangential things, right of first refusal. So if the show goes on to a contract, you have to be compensated if they don't take you with them and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Discussions of pension and health. So everyone came away from the town hall meeting in January feeling really good. Then equity came out with a proposal that basically said, all 99 seat theaters have to start paying minimum wage for all rehearsal and all performance period. There are two kind of exceptions to that, which are, if you are a member of a membership company as of April 1st, you can continue to work with that company without getting paid. You also lose the basic labor and safety protections that we've had under the current 99 seat plan. That's hard to swallow for dues paying union members to say, I don't get any union protections. Mm -hmm. And then there's something called the, the self-producing project code, which says that an equity member can produce a show on their own um, without paying themselves or anybody else, uh, again, with no basic labor and safety protections. But you can only use that code if you have no LLC or other, um, other legal status that gives you some financial or legal protection from liability and if you haven't produced under an equity contract in the last 12 months. So basically you can only use the self-produced project plan code if, um, if you have no experience producing and no protection from the liability of producing, <laughs> which is again, difficult to swallow for yes. you know many of us. Yes. And it's, I've probably gone over 90 seconds. <laughs> That's okay. It was actually, it was, it, I, I loved it. I love that you included some of the past conversations that happened. Um, you know, it, because it, it does, it gives a little bit of the, you, you gave a little bit of history of the 99 seat plan when it was created. The fact that we were, uh, the people in Los Angeles, because I was at a couple of those meetings, um, mm-hmm. the people in LA, the producers, the theater, the uh, artistic directors of the theater, you know, companies, etc., were, you know, saying like, yeah, there, there needs to be some updates. It's an old plan. We need, you know, it would be great if this, this, and this were a thing. And then equity coming back with what a lot of us have uh, dubbed as being the one size fits all, you know, mm-hmm. plan that doesn't really make any sense uh, in a landscape that is so varied. Well, I want, you just mentioned something that I wanted to touch on because I think it's important for people who aren't in L.A. Um, one, of the, one of the things that's been frustrating is that equity keeps sort of framing this as the producers, the producers, the producers, because in New York, where equity is based, um, producers and actors are different groups of people. 
you know, there are theater producers who put on shows and they're the money people and that's fine. And then they hire the actors. In L.A., these 99-seat companies are actor-generated companies. Mm -hmm. You know, they start with an actor saying, I want to do a show with my friends. Let's do a show. And so they do a show and then they say, that was really fun. Let's do another one. And organically, a company forms and then more people want to be a part of that company. And so these companies, by and large, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, are groups of actors and stage managers who are also equity members and part of this. Um coming together to want to work as a collective and, and we all take turns being the prop master or the concessions person or hmm. the producer. And so one of the issues with this whole discussion is that it's been framed in this context that just isn't consistent with the reality of how we make small theater in Los Angeles. So, you know, we're like you were sort of getting at, we're not fighting against any changes to the status quo. We're fighting for changes made from a, a standpoint of understanding how we work here and making changes that are going to make sense for how we work here, right. which the current proposal doesn't. Right. And, and, and changes in, in said current proposal. Um, and just because it's 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 the kind of subject we're on right now, one of the things that has been concerning to a lot of us that are on the pro ninety nine side of things is that they the equity leadership continues to say, you know, we will if if you vote yes, we will understand that you want change, and then we'll go ahead and change the proposal after the fact, which doesn't really make yeah. any sense. It's like vote on this thing, and then it's it's going to be different afterwards. You know, I will, I will throw equity a bone here and say that the, you made reference to how this whole thing came into being in the eighties, there was a lawsuit and which resulted in a settlement agreement that dictates the terms of any changes to the current 99 seat plan. So once equity kind of got the ball rolling on this proposal, they are locked into this process. So the membership is voting in a non-advisory a non-binding advisory referendum. Um, and then the council is going to have a full vote. And that whole process is dictated by this settlement agreement. So equity can't change it, which is why they're saying, we'll change it later. We'll change it later. But so, you know, that part is not, that terrible idea is not their doing. <laughs> it's but, some people in the eighties doing. It's the people, people in the eighties made terrible decisions all the time, but, <laughs> but, it still doesn't mean that we should vote yes for it because this terrible idea is an equity's fault. What we're saying is you guys put this whole thing in motion too quickly without the input of the people who are most affected by it. Well, with, so now it we sounds to, like with the input of the people who are most affected by it, but ignoring said input. That is another way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, you know there, part of this is, is I get to do my, my you know, j journalistic due diligence and, and, and part of it's, you know, calling a spade a spade. I appreciate you correcting me on the on what you said about throwing equity a bone. I did not understand that they were locked into the proposal that they had already put together. Yeah, the, I think, and you know, this is one of the things equity would say that they got the input of the people most affected by it because they put out a survey and they did focus groups. But um, there are organizations of small theater people in Los Angeles who reached out to equity and said, please let us sit down with you and hammer this thing out together so that it's something that the membership could support. And equity said, no, you know, we've got, we've got counter proposals. There's one that people can look at at, uh, was it was 99 hat.com. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and equity wouldn't give DLA membership any formal opportunity to present, present alternatives, which right. has been really frustrating because it's like, we, we, we are not just saying no and not presenting a better idea. We have better ideas. We just need an opportunity to sit down with them and hammer them out. And that's what didn't happen before this proposal and what we're trying to get to happen now. Right. So uh, I just have a couple more questions. Uh, the, the first is sort of understanding the consequences. Um, were this proposal not only to go through, but they were to implement it? A lot of people are, I mean, there's, there's, there's like a worst case scenario and a best case scenario. And the worst case scenario just sounds like, you know, a nuclear apoc- apocalypse happening <laughs> in L.A. theater uh, in 99 LA theater, like theaters, you know, literally shuttering their, their doors, you know, what, so yeah. what, are, what is, and you can absolutely include best and worst case scenarios here. What, what is, what is, what are the consequences should this proposal go through? Well, I, you know, I think the worst case scenario is what you just said is theaters shutting down and saying, we can't operate this way. We don't have the money. We don't, it, you know, we're now being, forced into a structure that makes no sense in the sort of climate that we're operating in. And so we have to call it a day. I think a better case scenario, and in my opinion, a likelier scenario is that most of these theaters will simply stop using union actors. Um, That's what's happened in a lot of other cities when equity has made it harder for union actors to work for very little money in small theater. Those theaters just go non-union. Um, that, that's bad news because it locks union members out of this, this, we've been calling it an incubator, this incubator of new work. And then when those shows do move on, they take the non-union actors with them. And the, you know, non-union actors are great, but equity is supposed to serve its members. And right. so, you know, we're saying we want to be a part of this. Um, another likely scenario is that, you know, theaters will try to abide by the new plan, but have to find ways to cut costs. And so there will be less rehearsal, smaller casts, less risky shows produced Mm -hmm. so that they can guarantee, you know, recouping at the box office, um, less ambitious sets, less ambitious costumes, just a, a kind of dampening of creativity because theaters can't afford to take risks, which would be a huge loss. The behavior of Brodus, the show that I was just in that we talked about had a cast of 10, five understudies, big sets, a five piece band, you know, there, it, it, there's no way we could have afforded to do that show under the current plan. Mm-hmm. And, and <clears throat> We love doing shows like that in L.A. Even in the best case scenario, the consequence of this proposal would be a loss of that kind of work, mm-hmm. which is bad. It's not just bad for L.A. It's bad for the American theater because that's where innovative work comes from. Yeah. So you, you touched on that actually briefly uh, before when you were talking about how seeing this happen in other places meant that a lot of non-union actors were being cast in, in, in shows. So I actually wanted to ask you about that. Say I'm not in Los Angeles. Say I'm not even union. Say I'm, you know, 
not, I don't, I feel like I'm not affected by this. What is the potential fallout here? What's the precedent that could be set? Or is there, a, you know, already precedent in other areas uh, where we've seen this happen? Like, uh, in other words, the, the why should I care if I'm not A in a letter yeah. and B union? What, what are the, some of the potential ripple effects uh, that could, that could, you know, affect people who don't think that they're actually affected right now? Well, so one of the things, one of the things that's gotten messy about this whole thing is that a lot of pro-99 people who are making the argument that we're making have been called anti-union by mm. members of the equity staff and various people, which is crazy. We're, we're union members. We believe in this union. That's why we're fighting so hard. And, I was and, not going to let this interview end without reminding people that, you know, I am the union. You are the union. Yeah. We, we pay our dues. We vote. We make uh, you know, our choices and we, we fight, you know, for what is best for ourselves as members, as well as, you know, the, the union as a, as a whole. So, um, yeah. So when, yeah, well, when I hear, and you know, this happens all the time already, non-union actors saying, well, I'm eligible to join equity, but I don't think it makes sense for me to join now because I won't be able to do the work that I want to do. That happens all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, and when that happens, what it means is that more and more work becomes non-union and the pool of non-union actors gets stronger and stronger. So there's less and less incentive for, for theaters and producers to mm. use union actors. Mm -hmm. And as a consequence, you get this growing pool of, again, I fundamentally believe in unions. And so it scares me to think of a growing pool of actors who are avoiding the union because they think it will hurt them rather than help them who will therefore never be brought into the fold of these safety and labor protections mm -hmm. of guaranteed good wages of an organization that's fighting for their best interests throughout their careers. When people put off joining the union because the union is creating policies that don't support members of a, you know, in a wide variety of circumstances and markets, it's bad for the union. And so the reason people should care if they're not union members is that this is bad for their careers down the road. The longer you put off joining the union, the less protection, collective protection you're going to have over the course of your career. And that's bad. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Uh, you saying that the, the, the sort of sentiment of avoiding joining the union, uh, I heard it a lot when I was in Los Angeles because there were at least, you know, some opportunities at the 99 level or what have you where where actors could, you know, be involved in some some awesome uh, artistic endeavors without necessarily joining the union. So I di I did hear mm -hmm. it quite a bit when I was out there. I have heard it so much more being out here in New York, which I find really fascinating considering this is more yeah. of a, 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 a union theater hub. Well, one, you know, one interesting thing is that that, that happened, it still happens, but it happened a lot in LA with regard to SAG, now SAG-AFTRA, people would make that argument. And SAG has done a really good job in recent years of creating contracts for new media, for ultra low budget projects that allow mm -hmm. people to work for very little or nothing for deferred pay because they recognized that they needed to get this, this pool of new innovative work, innovative work into the fold and bring the people doing that work into the union early. Otherwise they might never join. 
and it's been it's been so good for the union and so kind of progressive and forward thinking of them to recognize that. And so, you know, SAG AFTRA is Equity's sister union. A lot of us in LA are saying, go talk to them and ask them how they did it. There's <laughs> precedent for this. Right. This is not. It's not crazy what we're asking for. We just did it out here. Right. I I uh, I brought that up when this whole thing started to turn into the blaze that it has. The my, yeah. my co-host and co-producer actually, you know, shot a, a a short film that went to some festivals, won some you know, a bunch of awards and it was this really beautifully shot, beautifully acted, beautifully written thing that he put together and I said, you know, imagine you had to pay every single person minimum wage. Or imagine, you know, this proposal affected you and that process because he's actually not equity. And, and so, you know, we were trying to sort of uh, bridge the gap so that people could un- who are not union could understand. And immediately his reaction was like, well, it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, so and that's most, a great example. Most people get that when you stop for a minute and think every artist in every medium does some work up front for free in the interest of a payoff down the road. Writers write on spec. Painters paint when they don't know the piece is going to be sold. You know, and mm, musicians mm-hmm. jam in bars and volunteer mm-hmm. at their churches because there's value in practicing your craft even if you don't know for a fact that you're getting a paycheck for it immediately. Yeah, And that's, that we're just asking for an acknowledgement of that and for a way to incorporate that millennia-old reality into this current effort to balance the reality of what it means to be a professional theater actor. Or a professional actor, period. Right, right. So I hate to end on this question, but we're, <laughs> we're, we're really over time here, and I, wanted, okay. and I wanted to ask it, and I'm, I'm probably going to ask it of, of Dakin as well. Mm-hmm. I have attempted on multiple occasions to get some answers from people who are vote who are voting yes on this. They they have mm-hmm. been on the yes side from the beginning and they've wanted to vote yes. And I'm not talking about people who are like out in the media talking to newspapers and magazines mm-hmm. and, and and radio. I'm talking about just like the everyday actor whose name I have no idea. I, I have never met them before. I don't know them. You know, do you have experience in 99 theater? Yes, I do. Okay, and you're voting yes on this. Yes, I am. Okay, why? I've made attempts at that, and I have literally been uh, accused of um, calling people's credentials into question, and I was yeah. blocked on Facebook by people when I was just attempting to get answers. So I have to ask... Why would someone vote yes? What is I'm I am attempting to understand the <laughs> other side so that I can yeah. under so that I can understand the issue as a whole that much better. Why would yep. someone vote yes on this proposal? I think um I think it's easier to think this way if you haven't worked in 1990 theater. I think there is some appeal to thinking on a pretty simplistic level in terms of, I want to make more money. My union is putting forward a proposal that says someone has to pay me more money. Problem solved. Hmm. 
You know, I, I really think that's the appeal of it. I think there are some people who genuinely believe it's that simple, that if you just tell people that they have to pay you more money, you'll make more money. It takes more time and more effort and more introspection and more humility to go beyond that and say, you know, I want to make more money, but I don't think this is going to get it done. And so now I have to think about what would get it done. And that's way more complicated. You know, um, we have to, we have to, you know, create policy for the world we actually live in, not the world we wish we lived in. <laughs> and I, I think that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it almost, it almost becomes a different conversation at that point. Right. Uh, being that, it's a shame that in the United States we have such little arts funding in the first place and, you know, we should – everyone who's who's pouring blood, sweat, and tears into this art should be getting paid more. Yeah, and, that, you know, a lot of the anger on our side I think just comes from people saying there are already so many obstacles in the path of being a working artist in this country – it's maddening to have more obstacles thrown in our path by our own union. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's where a lot of it is coming from, and that's why we're trying so hard to get them to understand our reality. Right. Well, uh, I wish we had more time, Rebecca. I'm excited to talk to Dakin as well, um, and I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. Um, Pro bono. <laughs> um, not <laughs> volunteer. Only, volunteer, not only as an actress, but but uh, uh, fighting for members and, and your fellow members. So I, um, uh, I definitely appreciate it, and um, I'm excited to have you back on the show. Yay! Well, thank you so much. It's it's um, And thank you for doing this and for shining some light on this and helping people understand it. It's so important, and I just I really appreciate it. So now I'm actually on the phone with a another um, seasoned actor of theater, film, and television, Dakin Matthews. Um, I've seen him in several uh, productions out in Los Angeles, and he just finished a role in uh, the Rocky musical on Broadway and is currently playing, of all things, Winston Churchill in the... Uh, Broadway show The Audience starring Helen Mirren. So uh, a varied career, a, a, a storied career, and a great career, and I'm so excited to, to, to have you on. So thank you so much for being with us, Dakin. Thanks for having me, AJ. So um, we usually start at the beginning of someone's career, like, you know, what got you started in this crazy world? But since we're talking about this very specific issue uh, in this particular episode, uh, instead, I'm going to ask about your experience specifically in the 99-seat theater world. After, um, after 25 years of uh, acting in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, during which I was also a university professor, so I was a full-time university pr- professor as well as 
for many of those years, a full-time professional actor. Uh, I retired from teaching and moved to Los Angeles to, uh, to sort of move to the next step of my career, which was to continue to work in theater, but to seek more work in television and film, of which I'd done a little in San Francisco, but uh, not a great deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- when I arrived, um, I-, I, was, I joined a number of other of, of my colleagues from San Francisco who had also moved to L.A., you know, over the five year, five or so years where there was a kind of an exodus of San Francisco professional actors to L.A., and and uh, we associated a lot with one another, kept up our our ties, and 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 talked a lot and thought a lot about what it means to be a classically trained professional stage actor in Los Angeles. The opportunities for professional stage work were were not, you know, huge, uh, and you were breaking into film and television, so you were spending a lot of time auditioning or meeting or waiting, you know, hoping to get jobs. And, you know, they didn't come with any particular great regularity. So most of the people that I was with were also involved in keeping their skills up and uh, working with their colleagues, doing what they had been doing all their lives, working on plays and at performing. And Los Angeles at the time that I moved did have this thing called the waiver, which was so many uh, L.A. actors like me, had come to L.A. with a lot of theater training and a lot of theater experience and just insisted that they had to keep doing theater while they were trying to establish a career in film and television. They were, you know, they were they wanted to be treated holistically. I am a person. I am an actor. I work in all media. The media of television and film is one based on huge unemployment and overblown compensation when you finally do get a job. But, but meanwhile, you're still an actor and you still want to act on stage and continue to not just hone your craft, but exercise the form it, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was a, a very strong uh, movement in LA among the professional actors who were there to be allowed to continue to work without salary in, in small enough theaters. And equity had adopted this waiver plan, which, transformed after a number of years into what they called the 99-seat plan. So after a a few years there, I had become quite involved with uh, uh, Center Theater Group and Gordon Davidson at the Mark Taper Forum. And I went to Gordon Davidson and I said, you know, we're trying to find a way to keep the great sort of classical trained theater actors uh, uh, busy in Los Angeles and able to do the kind of work that they want to do. And I know that the regional theater movement was originally started as a place for actors to do just that. It transformed into something else so that now they're all institutions and they don't have companies, most of them. Uh, most of the paid people are staff and administrative people and actors are still gypsies coming and going. I said, what would it take to form a permanent or semi-permanent company at the Mark Taper Forum. And he said, well, I've always wanted to do that. And I said, I know, and it's very hard. So let me get a group of actors together. Give us a little bit of money. Give us some space at the Taper. And let us work for a year, both doing, you know, studying plays, rehearsing plays, not for public, you know, just for ourselves, doing staged readings, Uh, training ourselves in certain things that we wanted to keep training in. 
let us at, at, at the same time talk very clearly to one another about what it would take to have a resident permanent company of classical actors. So we did that for about a year, and at the end we came up with some ideas that it would be how it could be done. And we stayed at the taper for about three or four years, and we called this group the Antius Group. We, we worked with Gordon at the taper, uh, did some workshops there, did some equity uh, um, uh, workshops, did a full equity production there. And after about five or six years of that, we decided mutually to, to go our own way and form our own sort of company. So that was, the, that was how I got into 99 Theater. I never worked for any other 99 Theater at the beginning, except for my own the theater that I helped to co-found. Hmm. And we did that for a number of years. And then I, I, uh, I turned over the artistic directorship to another person. And after a couple of years, my wife and I started a little tiny theater of our own to explore some scripts that were not classical. And I worked a little bit in 99C theater for four or five years on that. And then we, we have since given that up. So my experience is not sort of typical of, um, of most actors in 99C theater. And uh, also, I basically underwrote to hundreds of thousands of dollars, most of the activities that we did. So <laughs> I was very fortunate this time. I had a pretty good TV and film career. So, you know, it was like, it was like having a boat, you know, you just have a boat and you pour money into it and it goes into the water. So, <laughs> but, it, it, but it allows to stay. So that was my, that was, that was my involvement in 99C theater. And it was extraordinarily rewarding and extraordinarily valuable, not just for me, but for everybody, all my colleagues, all my friends, all these actors in L.A., you can't imagine, if you've never tried to be a professional actor in L.A., how sometimes demeaning and negative and disappointing it can be to constantly get rejected, to constantly be waiting to work, to make to be able to have no control of your artistic career. It's, it's, uh, Waver Theater at 99 is almost like a health benefit. It's like a, I don't want to say it's a form of therapy, but it keeps actors positive by letting them do what they were trained and born to do and what they, what they need to do. Uh -huh. So aside from its aesthetic benefits, which are enormous because it allows the LA theater community to, to see plays they would never see and see great acting they would never see, that allows playwrights to develop new plays in an atmosphere that's very you know, productive and, and positive. It helps train younger actors. I mean, there's so many good things about it. The problem is that, that our, our union, which it never liked it, because our union, I mean, they acceded to the demand because there are so many actors out there who say, we have to keep working, we're going crazy. Mm -hmm. But but the, always kind of, you know, it's, it's, it is a labor union. It's not just an artist's guild, Actors' Equity. It is a labor union, and they really feel that their primary goal is to secure two things for actors, contracts, therefore wages, therefore living wages, and protections against unscrupulous producers in terms of safety, health, working conditions, you know, security and things like that. So, and, that's, and that probably should be the goal of a union. And everything about a uh, 99 seat plan where people, where actors are volunteers, they are paid only, you know, car fare, 
they don't work with a contract. They don't make contributions to pension and welfare. They don't even they don't even have their dues taken out of them for this. Uh, they have no protections in some extent. Mm-hmm. Although although dynastic plans do have quite a bit in the way of uh, health and safety and working conditions protections. Right. Equity has always felt uncomfortable with this, especially since no other city, no other region in the country has this. You know, and and I I understand the fear that you know some people from Dubuque will look at this and say, those guys can work for free while they're waiting. Why why can't we do that? Or Chicago, or Seattle, or San Francisco, uh-huh. all the other places basically have kind of showcase contracts of sort or guest artists or things like that. So I understand what the union is concerned about. I understand its discomfort with this. But the fact is, L.A. is unique. There are thousands and thousands of professional actors there who need to keep working on stage, even as they make a living elsewhere. The fact is, 80% of equity actors only make seven, no, make no more than $7,000 or $15,000 a year. Uh-huh. At any given time, seven. <clears throat> You know, seventy percent of the union are unemployed. I mean, you do, we don't make a living doing stage acting in this country unless you happen to be a very successful New York actor. Mm-hmm. That's just, or you have a very enlightened regional theater that still gives long-term contracts to actors, but those are sort of gone. Yeah. We all of us have to. I never made a living as a stage actor personally, and I I don't know anybody that worked more than me. I always <laughs> had a second job. Yeah. or was working in, in film and television. So what's happened now is is that the union has finally decided after about 40 years that it's time to move, unfortunately, everybody in the 99-seat theater scene either onto a contract or to take away all the protections and safeguards that equity has generally given them through a 99-seat plan. And they decided to do it uh, without a lot of input, frankly, mm-hmm. they decided to do it because they feel this is what we must do because we are a contract and wages uh, uh, based organization. And we simply have to set a standard and no longer tolerate the idea that actors can work for free. They just they, they can't. It's just too hard, in a sense to conceive of that, but also to, uh, to, to, uh, administer that, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, so that's, that's the problem is, and I think part of the, part of the problem is also that the new leadership of equity in uh, both nationally and in the West coast, the new staff, the paid staff, not the members come from, uh, either a labor union that's in, that's involved, uh, not, a, not of our actors, that is involved in living wage and, you know, uh, contracts, things like that, mm-hmm. or from the Broadway league, which is all about contracts. And, you know, that, that the, the leadership has no, uh, <clears throat> I don't think, uh, positive feelings about the way actors have to live in Los Angeles. Yeah. And the second problem has been that it's been largely a very misleading and occasionally dishonest campaign on the part of our leadership to, uh, to get this, to get this agreement that they want, uh, approved. Yeah. That, that has it's been, been a, a really unfortunate. It's been aspect. very difficult. They, they have not been forthcoming. Uh, they have not answered a lot of the questions people have. And in fact, they have allowed, 
They have been very careful with their lawyers that they have not made any official statements that could be regarded misleading, but they have encouraged their supporters to make misleading statements and repeated their misleading statements and have allowed a general feeling about this yes-no vote, a very misleading feeling about the meaning of the yes-no vote to float out there. In other words, they're trying to get a positive vote on this referendum by not being entirely honest about what the referendum really is. Right. So yeah, we we mentioned been, we mentioned with Rebecca, you know, them saying that people who were voting uh, no were actually voting against their union somehow. And um, yeah, they called it anti-union. They mm-hmm. said this is the only way to get change. Uh, this is a vote for change. Uh, we can change this later. Just you know, vote for it. Yes, now we'll fix it. We know it's problematic. You know, all that stuff mm-hmm. is just, you know, it's, it's politics. It's not, you know, it's, it's somewhere between rhetoric and dirty tricks. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact is that you're doing it to your own members and you're doing it with their money. Right. Right. My dues are paying for people to tell me things that aren't true. Right. In order to get me to vote for something I don't want. Right. And not allowing us to have equal voice in any way. Right. Yeah. Or even access to our membership. It, it, it's frustrating. It may be legal. I'm not saying that anybody at Equity is doing anything illegal. It, it may not be moral. Right. And it may not be the way to run a union. <laughs> and it's certainly frustrating, um, especially you know when you put all the pieces together. Uh, like you said, the the leadership, the current leadership, not having a lot of experience uh, with Los Angeles theater, let alone uh, uh, you know. The fact that they have the distaste yeah. for it, uh, the, the the contract or lack thereof um, in L.A., 99-seat theater. And then on top of that, the misinformation at best, you know, if we're uh, yeah. being, being nice, yeah. that has been um, – that has been uh, – Propagated. Now, I I want to ask. Actually, this is this might be a, a perfect time to ask this question. I saved this question for the end for for Rebecca. But why do you believe people are voting yes on this? What 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 do you think the motivation of a yes vote in this case, in this referendum, in this proposal? What do you think the, that motivation is? I think maybe some of them have had uh, uh, bad experiences in 99C theater, but some of them admit they've had very good experiences in 99C theater. I think some of them are, um, all actors are frustrated. All actors are unhappy, especially if they're in LA and they're, they're where they probably came to try to break into film and television. It's not going well. Their lives, their artistic lives are not, happy and they need to blame somebody for that. Hmm. And they feel that the union is the only person that understands them, that works to get them jobs, that works to get them fair wages, at least minimum wage, though you couldn't live on minimum wage in LA for more than about a week. Uh, And so they, and they feel like if they feel like, if they've come from elsewhere, if they've been in L.A., that there is strength and solidarity, there is strength and consistency, that what they do is valuable and they should be paid for it. And so they listen to what the union tells them, even though what the union tells them is not entirely accurate. 
they they would rather trust the union than trust the uh, nine nine seat producers or trust their colleagues who like to work in nine nine seat theater. Mm-hmm. That's the, but I also think to a certain extent. I think the union specifically hired the leadership that they hired because they wanted them to move uh, uh, to a much more strong, strong contractual position. And I think that leadership has been very persuasive with some people that, look, at it's a union. We have to have contracts. If we don't have contracts, we're not a union. And I think that's not a, an insignificant argument. I think that's a very strong one. I think a number of people really believe this. I think they really believe it. I don't think it's just Kool-Aid. I think they really believe in the principles of unionism, and they really believe that if only everybody could have a contract, everything would be much better. Mm-hmm. What they do not realize is there is simply no money out there. You can't <laughs> invent. You cannot build it, and they will come. You know, And compared to the kind of ticket-buying base that exists in New York City, where most union members are and where most counselors are who are going to vote, I mean, Broadway alone takes in $21 billion a year in just Broadway admissions. I hate to think what in the in, in city of New York the total ticket-buying power is for the, say, 30,000 actors in it, or 25,000 equity actors in New York compared to the minuscule ticket-buying base that exists in Los Angeles for the 7,000 equity actors who work there, mm-hmm. coupled with the fact that a large part of that base is touring shows out of New York, and another large part of that base is contracts offered to New York actors to come into Los Angeles theaters and work. I mean, the opportunities for contractual work in L.A. in theater are so small that the idea that if we just say, okay, if you work in 950, you have to be in a contract suddenly that money will appear is, is, I don't know what it is. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, I, I keep trying to find, I want to understand both sides of the argument so that I can just understand the argument or the, the, the debate as a whole. Um, so that I am a yeah, well-informed yeah. actor and a well-informed union member, and so that's why I'm trying to understand the other side. And I think I think it's interesting the way that I haven't heard it put the way that you put it. You're sort of putting it in this sort of um, idealistic light, right? Uh, that you know, as an actor, I I should be paid for my craft. Therefore, I'm going to vote yes on this referendum because I feel like it is the best and only and yeah. and most current way for me to get that. Yeah, happen. absolutely. I think it's true. What what they don't have to notice is that it will not result in them being paid for their craft. <laughs> it will, in right. fact, result in more opportunities for non-union actors. Right, right. And that, and it and just doesn't the... have. It, it's counterproductive. It doesn't have the announced result that it's supposed to have. It will not, in fact, increase opportunities for union actors to make a living by doing stage acting. It 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 won't. Mm-hmm. It will, it will, and on top of that, it will eliminate the ability of actors to continue to to, to pursue their craft. Yeah, and uh, and uh, eliminate the ability for audiences to continue to see new work or great classical work. It's just, uh, if, if, idealistically speaking, it's actually a very good idea, but practically, it it doesn't work. And I mean, it, I'm yeah. sorry, it's like prohibition. <clears throat> Sounded like a good idea at the time, <laughs> but it invented. Organized crime. Yeah. Bad law generates two things. 
misleading campaigns mm. and crime. <laughs> you know. I'd hate to I'd hate to think what the uh, crime that would be generated by this proposal going through would look like. Um, oh, the fact. producers will be more producers will become more unscrupulous. Actors will do what they did in a number of cities. They'll they'll sort of work sub rosa. They'll change their names. Um, uh, all equities. Uh, um, uh, safeguards and protections will be withdrawn from 99-seat theaters, so there will be more abuse. I mean, this idea that 99-seat producers abuse actors uh, is, is, you know, is, is like voter fraud. You know, it is so minuscule as to be non-existent. You right. don't make rules against abuses when they really don't They don't, don't exist. exist. They're not there, yeah. And I like that. No, no, ninety-five producer goes into that business to get rich. If they think they're gonna, they're not greedy. They're just stupid. <laughs> they they, they have it. not done their research. One of the questions that I asked Rebecca and and would love to hear you speak about is just understanding the consequences from best case scenario to worst case scenario and everything in between. Just just understanding what what are the what's the potential fallout here. And, you know, first starting in Los Angeles and then after I have a question about, you know, other markets. Okay. I don't know what to follow. I guess we'll have to wait and see what the, what the referendum vote is, then what the council does with the referendum vote. I tell you, if the <laughs> referendum vote is, is strongly opposed and the council still passes this proposal, it's going to put equity not in a stronger negotiation position, what a weaker negotiating position. Right. They're going to try to go then negotiate this agreement with producers without having the support of the very actors who they're trying to benefit. That's, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's an insane thing. Um, I think, I think, uh, uh, for example, I will give you an example. I know, you know, a company that I co-founded, which I'm still a member of, but I have nothing to do with running anymore, which is the Antius company. We're an all equity company. Well, they say, well, you're a membership company. Well, we, we won't let you. We won't make you follow the agreement. But you just can't bring anybody new in anymore, and you have no protections and no safeguards. Mm-hmm. So you can just <clears throat> either wither away, or every time you bring in somebody new, you pay him a salary, but you don't pay anybody, anybody else. else. Yeah. This is that. This is this is not uh, an exception. This this is an insult. <laughs> This is not an attempt to help the membership companies, an attempt to destroy them. That, that's what will happen to a lot of membership companies. I hope what will happen is that those few, there, are, there is no doubt, there are some very wealthy 90-sign-seat theater companies in, in L.A. Most of them are producer organizations rather than membership companies. I have no problem at all with equity going to a select number of companies, maybe even the company that I was a co-founder of and saying, okay, you guys, you have budgets of between half a million to a million two. You've been working on this plan for 20 years. It's time to up the ante. First of all, we're going to have to up the stipends and maybe we're going to have to start you with a path to having some contracts somewhere. Maybe not, maybe make you do one show at least a year that is contracted. Maybe have a contracted stage manager, you know, so that uh, you're not you're not paying an actor a salary, but you are paying a stage. Some of there should be some. I think Equity has the absolute right to go to some theaters and say, you know, something you don't fit our profile for what a 99 seat theater is. You really don't. 
it's time for you to start professionalizing. I got no problem with that. None whatsoever. And if that means tough negotiation and hard agreements and, and a redistribution of the wealth of that uh, company, I got no problem with that whatsoever. But, but what equity has proposed is basically a one-size-fits-all that would destroy 70% of the companies that are in existence. So I think that's what, if they actually, if they, well, I think there'll be a lawsuit if they try to put it through. That's how we got the original and uh, changed. Yeah, and es- and especially if th- if there's an overwhelming no vote, because then, like you said before, we yeah. have the we have the evidence that that yeah. that they're they're proceeding in a manner in a fashion that is a, against the wishes of their own membership. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's what what leadership has constantly been saying is members want us to go to the contract. Membership want that kind of change. They want us to go to the contract. If they take a vote, it turns out, actually, no, we, we, we don't want this. They can't actually say that anymore. No. Not with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> then they have to admit, you know something, it's not because you want the contract. It's because we want the contract, right. okay? We, we confess. It's not because you want it. It's because it just makes so much more sense to us to administer <laughs> contractual relationship yeah. than to get into here with all these 99 seats non-contractual things. Yeah. So what uh, I want to ask you if you have any, there's a, there's a lot of, because there are so many different contracts or agreements or um, precedents in the various minor markets, it's, it's almost impossible to sort of keep up with. I know a lot of people have started to comb through Equity's website and look at the various contracts and agreements. Oh, and, very, and it's <laughs> very, very hard. And, you know, and also Equity does not, is not really very open about giving out information. For example, for, you know, what happens in, in the Chicago area contract and the Hollywood area contract, but mostly the Bay Area theater contract, people just stay non-union because... They're just so difficult. It's so difficult to make the movement from a non-union to a union theater, even if you have 200, 300 seats. It's very difficult. And, 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 the, and the equities normal procedure in this is to move to guest artists and letters of agreement, where you say, okay, you can keep moving that theater, but, and there won't be an agreement, there won't be an actual agreement that covers you. We'll write a letter of agreement that says you agree to have two equity contracts or three equity contracts or mm-hmm. something like that. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. not a, it's, it's not this broad agreement thing which equity is proposing here, but it's the kind of concessions, you know, Go professionalized by concessions. So this tried to professionalize in one fell swoop. Yeah. So I think I've actually been asking this question sort of backwards because uh, I asked it of, of Rebecca, and I've I've sort of tried to ask it of, of other actors, uh, both in the Pro Ninety Nine Facebook group and also just in person. I've been asking, well, what's the what's the fallout in other minor markets if this goes through in Los Angeles, and or what is the precedent in other minor markets? Um, that could be applied here. But I guess the question is, you know, instead, why is it that equity has been, equity leadership has been willing to uh, compartmentalize and make specific concessions in all of these different minor markets and individual theaters that they're not willing to then go and apply in Los Angeles? 
Is that is that more yeah. to the point? That that's a pretty good question. In fact, there there are theaters where there are agreements, like the Showcase Agreement, which, which is, is here in, in New, New York, York right? which is yeah. an actual agreement that has actual contracts and actual requirements about pro non pro ratios and ex- minimum wages and stuff like that. And there's like the bat in the Bay Area, which has certain number of contracts, certain number of relationship between pro and non-pro, plus more remunerative employment clauses that allows people to leave the leave the production on short notice if they get a job in TV and film. Mm-hmm. You know, but there are also you know, for for example, to give you, I, I think Portland Playhouse is a terrific place. I've read a lot about them, and they do really interesting work. And they've been, you know, they're really responsible and they're engaged in their community. What, they what were they is were it? set up. Portland Playhouse. Mm-hmm. They were set up in the equity document, the, the the support document that came out with the ballot, saying, "Look, Portland Playhouse uh, professionalized, and they've only got forty nine seats. Why do, why can't L A theaters do this? I mean, that was in the support material. Hmm. So I researched Portland Playhouse. Well, first of all, they have ninety nine seats. Second of all. <laughs> Their equity, their equity salary is $100 lower than what uh, equity says on the thing. Third of all, the last time that I could get complete documentation on them, uh, which was 19, uh, which was 2012, because that's when the 990 was put on, on online, they paid six salaries and had 100 volunteers, and the majority of the salaries were to administrators of the theater. That's not any kind of model that any kind of 99C theater in L.A. can't follow. Because most of the theaters use overwhelming numbers of equity people. They don't have budgets of $800,000. And they don't have, you know, it, 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 they present this as if, well, look at, see, they're professionalized, why can't you? But when you look into the level of their professionalization, they're not working on an agreement. They're working probably on a letter of agreement or a guest artist contract. But the vast majority of their salaried money or their compensation goes to their administrators, and they depend upon 100 volunteers. And, and How could they, you know, but equity doesn't tell you that when they produce that little thing in the ballot thing. They suggest that somehow it's possible to run an equity theater with 49 seats. Huh. And, yeah. and and not so, only, and not only that, but that's been that's sort of antithetical to their argument, isn't it? Because they've been yeah. they're talking yeah. about uh, producers and, and and theater administrators, quote unquote, making money off of the backs of these poor volunteer, exactly. you know, slave driven exactly. actors. <laughs> but but that's exactly what that theater. I mean, that's not exactly that what theater, I'm not. That I'm not. Does. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to talk. You know poorly about that theater. I'm just saying that, that I don't I think the people great. who are getting paid are not the actors themselves. Well, yeah, there are a couple of equity actors who are being paid all the time, but the vast majority of the conference, you know, you can, you can look it up. And, and these are two actual uh, administrators of the company who are also equity actors, which is what happens a lot, obviously. So that's kind of cool. But also equity says go out and raise more money without actually acknowledging the fact that you can't actually raise much more money on ticket prices. So you have to raise it on grants and foundations and government and individual people. But you can't do that unless you're a 501c3 
And nobody will give you any money from the foundation unless you have a permanent administrative staff in place. Right, right. So they say, stop paying your administrative staff so much money, pay your actors and go out and raise money. But if you stop paying your administrative staff, you can't raise money. Right, because you can't have because no one I mean, will stick around to be that administrative staff. No, no. The ha- first thing, one of the first things the foundation says to you when you apply for a grant is, do you have a permanent administrative staff? Mm-hmm. And if you can't show that you have a permanent administrative staff, they're not going to give you a grant. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, and that, <laughs> that's simple. And and, and there have been uh, a few. I have heard of a few, not many, but a few uh, theater companies who have done this, where they've, where they've, you know, uh, applied for their 501c3 status. They become, you know, um, uh, this not-for-profit theater company. They, they hire a board of directors. They get those people in place, and then they're able to go out and, you know, apply for these grants. But all that whole process is, is, takes a long time. It can be very costly. It can, be very yeah. um, uh, confusing, uh, like anything else in this c- country. There, there tends to be a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, and mean, and meanwhile, they're not producing theater. You know, assuming the plan goes through, they're not producing theater, and therefore not making enough money to keep the 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 the, the roof over their heads, and be, meaning the the theater, the resident theater that they're in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Assuming they have a theater, maybe they don't. Uh, but at the very least, they're not producing any work. So that means uh, less work for actors, whether they're union or non-union, and no one getting no actors getting paid because there's nothing actually happening. Um, yeah. It's, it's no, it's very frustrating. The realities on the ground are sort of being ignored by the idealism. That, that all actors should be paid for their work and minimum wage is necessary. Uh, equity's also been really kind of not very forthcoming on this whole thing about, you will hear a lot of their supporters and their surrogates and their avatars say, we have to do this because it's the law. Mm. You know, we don't have any choice. That argument has been made never directly by equity. And when you actually ask them, they don't say that but they allow all their supporters and their surrogates to say it. It's the law. It is, there is no law that limits volunteering. There is no such law. Mm-hmm. You know, if you start paying people a salary, then minimum wage kicks in. But the choice to go to a salary rather than volunteering is a choice not required by law. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that, I mean, you know, as I said in the Pro 99 Facebook group, this is our, you know, little megaphone here. And I, I, I just want to get this type of information out to as many people as possible so that we can, you know, inform people that, that, that may be receiving that type, that exact type yeah. of misinformation and basing their vote on it. Um, yeah, yeah. So well, I, I'm sorry, you didn't quite know what you were getting into. When you turn on my little tap here, I just keep talking. So <laughs> I didn't give you. I didn't give you much airtime. Oh no! It's <laughs> this is why you're here. This is why you're here. I this is my show. I I talk on this show every week. So we we bring on guests to shut us up. Um, yeah, no, but it's been it's been it's been really great. Uh, not only uh, reading, uh, you know, I loved there were there were two posts that I I remember you posting that were just uh, a list of questions. And I remember reading through those and, and the reasons why you were asking those questions. And it was, 
it was another one of those things uh, of just being frustrated about the situation because you're reading these questions going, yeah, these all make perfect sense. And why is no one, especially the union leadership, asking these exact questions? You know, you were asking well, not, things as, as simple as... Not only as, that, they, they have actually put a kind of um, gag order on their counselors. They're telling their counselors, don't go on social media until the vote is over so that they can't be asked these questions. Uh, it doesn't it just doesn't make any because the questions were so, you know, you started out with things like how many theater companies are there? How many union members are there in L.A. County? You know, just very basic pieces of information that would be interesting for the membership, but vital and necessary for the leadership to make any kind of proposal and yeah. they weren't being asked and I, I it just it floored me uh and, and so th those kinds of posts were what really um made me appreciate your voice in all of this because uh you know you're coming from a place of experience you're coming from a place of both an actor and someone who has quote unquote produced or run a you know a theater yeah. and um as someone who has experience, you know, moving in, uh, moving on and in through not only film and television work, but, you know, like I said earlier, uh, being on Broadway. And uh, it, it, it just, it gives me hope that there are voices like yours, Rebecca's, and hopefully this podcast, this type of information that's get, getting out there to support actors and at least making a more informed decision. Well, uh, Dakin... Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, as I said before, I would really love, and I'm sure our listeners would love, to have you on as, as one of our regular uh, guests um, when we're not talking about a very specific issue. So um, I'd love to. Yeah, let's stay in touch. I'll we'll, be in town through June. Great. We'll look forward to that. So uh, thank you so much, um, and uh, really appreciate you talking with us today. All right, guys, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed uh, HA's very in-depth and very candid conversations with Rebecca and Dakin, and hopefully you feel more informed and more empowered, uh, more empowered or just empowered uh, <laughs> on this issue um, to, to take a stand. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and I, and I know that there are a lot of people, for instance, who, who listen to this podcast that aren't necessarily a member of Actors' Equity, who aren't necessarily living in Los Angeles. We have, you know, international listeners we have listeners all over the, the the united states and all over the world so i wanted to speak to everyone and say you know on the 99c issue what can you do well obviously if you're an equity member living in los angeles the most important thing for you to do is to vote otherwise whether you are whether you do meet that criteria or not everyone can get the word out on social media get out there find um, informative, interesting um, articles, interviews, whatever, um, with one side, both sides, whatever it is, just get informed and then and then share it. Make sure that people are um, also getting as informed as you are. Talk to your fellow actors and other theater artists. Um, this is especially important in minor and major markets that are not Los Angeles. I have been doing that as much as possible here in, in uh, New York because I know that there are a lot of 
people who either came from LA or who are very influential in theater in general. And if I can get the ear of those people here, maybe we can make a difference um, to the equity leadership and, 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 and make a difference in terms of getting the word out, period. Uh, and then finally, you know, connecting with the actors in your life that, that, that you know are union and simply making sure that they're well informed. I'm not saying swaying them one way or another or, you know, beating them over the head with, you know, whatever your point of view is and saying you must do this. But if you are union and or you know people who are a member of Actors' Equity or even SAG-AFTRA just to or, or any of the other sister unions um, for, for performers, it is really important, as Trevor said before the interviews began, that people be informed about this kind of thing. So simply having conversations with people will, you know, move us forward, move us toward what we all want, which is protections for actors, uh, wages for actors, and a payment structure in Los Angeles that makes sense. Sweet. Well, we're going to skip um, the picks of the week and the uh, member win of the week. We're going to be changing that up just a little bit starting uh, with the next few episodes. But um, we're going to kind of skip that just in the interest of time for this episode. And we're going to wrap up. So today's special edition episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and Mr. AJ Meyer. Yeah. (laughs) Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubrek is our marketing and web director. Jasmine Bristow is our director of public relations. And Deborah Smith is our community manager. Trevor Algott, that's me, composed our music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, insideacting.net. Uh-huh. You can uh, also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And thank you to our sponsors, VO2GoGo.com and Rehearsal 2, which is the app for actors. So if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger choices, book the office, there is an app for that. It's called Rehearsal 2, and you can download it right now at RehearsalTheApp.com slash download. That's RehearsalTheApp.com slash download. And also a huge thanks to you, our listeners. If you love Inside Acting and you want to help keep the show going, sign up as a monthly member and get cool perks like access to our exclusive membership, which uh, offers not only content, community, and coaching, but also the occasional freebie like access to AJ's upcoming digital actor workshop in Los Angeles, free access to that, as well as discounts on merchandise like Inside Acting t-shirts and other upcoming podcast offerings. There's lots of stuff we got planned, guys. We're so stoked to roll it out and and really build an empowered community. Just visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab to get started. And that's it. That's all she wrote for episode 188 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, rock the vote. 